When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, Dan getting snappy with it. I said Emily Post Institute without popping my peas. Pop, 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 pop. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post Senate act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. On this episode of Awesome Etiquette, we answer your questions on smug responses to your pregnancy announcement, how to handle your host's pets, fending off recurring questions about when you are going to get a job, and how to communicate that you're cutting down on Christmas gifts, as well as how to turn down a date from a business contact. All that plus a postscript segment on party hosting from Emily Post herself. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be a part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning from the Emily Post Institute. New Year's resolutions! New Year's! New Year's! It's It's happening! It's this week! It's that time of year. It is! I love New Year's. I do too. Yeah. Big holiday. I know. Some cultures and traditions, it's the biggest holiday. For years, you kind of like bowed out of the whole like, I'm going to spend New Year's and my birthday and things like this with a lot of other people, right? And it was like quiet hikes and really beautiful moments of solitude. I have sought out some quiet New Year's experiences. That's certainly true. I always thought that was really cool because it's, I feel like New Year's is one of those holidays where there's so much pressure. To be, like, at a big party and the kiss at midnight and everything. and I agree. It's definitely a, a social holiday. Yeah. I think people think of observing New Year's with a party. And yeah. we're going to return to that in the postscript. But I think there's another part of this holiday that gives people a, a little bit of pressure. What's that? The resolution. Oh, yeah. Totally. M- making a New Year's resolution. And, and it being this time of year, thought we might share... Oh, yeah? Do you have one in mind? I do, but I thought I'd share a slightly larger etiquette concept also. Okay. And it's something I often do when I'm doing etiquette trainings. I talk about approaching etiquette in general through the lens of opportunity, not obligation. I love it. Anytime you can identify and connect with the possibility in these things as opposed to feeling burdened by them. I think it it makes the resolution, it makes the commitment to having good etiquette so much more powerful and and maybe even transformative. Ooh, I like it. In that spirit. Yeah, what's your personal? (laughs) I was thinking about the nature of resolutions generally, sort of the way that we think about how to improve ourselves. Sure. And I've Noticed that in myself, in my earlier life, my resolutions were often about challenging myself to try new things and and take on new challenges, move in new directions. Not like to correct a behavior. Absolutely. Wow. Mine always come from that place of like, there's something wrong with you. You need to improve it. So tell me what yours is going to be. Well, I've noticed that it's changing a little bit. Okay. That the new direction for me in the past has been get consistent. Maybe that's where I how I approach that improvement. I'll say to myself, I want to wake up early every day. I want to start the day just an hour earlier and add some exercise or something. But I think of it as a new challenge, a new direction. Not you as... think of it as consi- – I like that you brought it to consistency as opposed to I need to do this new thing because I'm not good enough in some way. 
It's so funny because I hadn't even thought of it in the second way. A therapist would love this <laughs> conversation. Okay. <laughs> and then the slightly sort of longer thought yeah. even is that I've noticed this year as my life has gotten more consistent. I'm newly married and been doing this job long enough that it feels like a solid routine. Okay. And I'm sort of telling myself that in this new year I want to continue to be creative and I okay. want to continue to to open new horizons to be consistent in. So I'm I'm returning to that youthful place of pushing out the boundary a little bit with my resolution. I don't know what it's going to look like yet, but That's amazing. Ta-da. Ta-da. Resolution. Okay. I could see from the quizzical look in your eye that you don't have a grand resolution. Thanks, Dan. (laughs) Um, No, not quizzical. Just I want to swear less. I have a foul mouth in my personal life. And that's just lesson to kids out there who listen to the show. Don't be enticed by bad language. It's not attractive in any way, shape or form. And it's sure a a well-placed expletive every now and again. Not so bad. But emphasis, I just, you know, it's like way too much a part of my mental, like my internal monologue. And I'm like, that just sounds gross. So once again, for like the fourth year in a row, I believe, my resolution is to swear less. Well, I, I wish you the best with it this year. and Let me know if there's anything I can do to help. You'll probably know because you see me in the office every day and I need some help with it. <laughs> Cussing like a sailor. Oh, man, it's bad. It's like My dad is always like, really? You need to say that? And I'm like, gosh, you're right. It sounds so bad. It doesn't sound good. You know, it's like unnecessary, I think. I do think that that extreme language is useful. Yeah. <laughs> it can really communicate something, but you can all, it can also lose its power. Yeah. I actually remember in college and just after college, I went to school with a guy named Bill, and Bill and his brother both don't swear. They just don't. And it wasn't something I ever noticed about them until they said it. And I was like, wow. And so just imagine dropping those words that have crept in over the years out of your language. I don't think they add anything so wonderfully amazing, Mm -hmm. even though I use them so frequently. I like the way you're thinking about how it affects your own internal mental state. Yeah. That 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 internal dialogue is such a huge part of our experience of life. And I definitely – so bigger picture as Uh opposed to small thing is – a place that you're really good about is going to that place of curiosity and openness as soon as you're confronted with something. And I would really like to do that. The um, the, the thing I'm trying to avoid saying to <laughs> to you out there Not is— Not putting it in the negative. Is, yeah, the, the thing I'm trying to avoid saying is I'm often quick to jump to the dramatic or to jump to the fraught. Mm-hmm. And I would love to control the worry that I put into my own life by jumping to a place of curiosity instead. So that's it. Look out 2016. I know. We hope that we are better <laughs> hosts for you out there so that we can, you know, we're, we're just going to be better people next year. If you'd like to share a resolution with us, we'd love to hear all about it. Yes, definitely post it to Twitter and Facebook. You can do hashtag awesome etiquette, and we would love to share and encourage you in your New Year's resolutions. Until then. Shall we get to some questions? We shall. All right, maybe so, but it's it's also complicated. Is it? Look, there's nobody here. Let's try it out. What do you mean? Come on. On each and every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. We loved this first question. <laughs> we did. I just wanted to go to bat for our, our listener. This question is titled, I told you you'd want kids. Hi, Dan and Lizzie. Since very early in our relationship, my husband and I have felt confident that we did not want to have children. 
We had discussed it at length and were comfortable with this decision for many, many reasons. We never made a secret of this and always answered directly any well-meaning friend or acquaintance who asked us when we were planning to have kids. Most people accepted this, but there were a few that I've had somewhat more heated discussions with. I've spent more time than I would have liked defending my rational adult decisions from people who say, oh, but you have such a nurturing personality, or being a parent is the best thing a person can do with their life, or the absolute worst. I'm sure you'll change your mind when your clock starts ticking. A few weeks ago, I found out that I was pregnant. This was not expected or planned, but my husband and I have decided to keep this child and adjust our lives to be the best parents we can be. It's still early days, so I've only told a small handful of people. However, with my petite build and the prevalence of social media, I know that the time I can keep this a secret is extremely limited. I'm hoping that you have some advice as to how I can tactfully break the news to those who will undoubtedly be smug that they were right all along and use my story as ammunition against other couples who have chosen not to have children. Right now, my best idea is something involving a Bob Ross quote about happy accidents. But I know I can do better. Part of me wonders if I should even bother explaining myself and just accept that haters gonna hate. But it's absolutely infuriating to let these people think that their rude and invasive comments were justified. Any help with a sample script here would be greatly appreciated. Best, Anonymous. Anonymous, I tell you, I read this email in the office. I immediately grabbed Dan and was like, don't you just want to go, like, rub it in other people's faces that they don't deserve to be all up in Anonymous's face about this? Like, Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, but this, like, really bothered me. Not only do you make the mistake of saying to these people when they announce that they don't want to have kids that they're wrong for making that choice, which is not a wrong choice in any way, shape or form. But your biological clock is going to tick. Oh, you're going to change. It's the best thing you could. So what? People who don't have kids, people who can't have kids aren't living the best life they could live. Mm -hmm. Like kids are amazing. I love kids. I want a family more than anything else in the world. But do not ever think that it is okay to tell somebody they're wrong for choosing not to have children. And it's not their choice is not a reflection on you being wrong for having chosen to have kids. Like, man, (laughs) I can feel it. So like, I can't wait to answer this question. And it's I mean, it goes back to the point of Eddie, you don't pry into people's personal lives. You don't comment on their family life. You don't judge like you don't judge. Unless the advice is solicited, you don't offer it. That's true. Yeah, unless, okay, what do you think about that? That is not what Anonymous has asked any of these people. She's confident in her decision. And I've noticed here she hasn't even got the smug responses yet, just based on the tone and nature of the conversations she's experienced up to to this point. She anticipates it. And I want to get into the heart of the advice. I also want to say don't anticipate that smug response so much that you respond as if everything's smug. That's true. But I hear that coming because this is such a— potentially personal and difficult topic. That's awesome. I think, Dan, that is like the best precursor to what I'm then going to say. <laughs> here we go. Sample so, script time from the go. master. All right. So I really think that this is so personal that I want to put out that I'm comfortable giving you some not so standard etiquette advice. I'm going to give you three responses to give to the person and they range from a little bit in your face mm-hmm. to um, to politely ignoring. And so the first one is is the classic and that is to ignore them and change the subject. So the conversation might go like this. 
yes, we're having a baby. It's due in June. And the other person might say, I just knew you'd come around. Remember, I told you you'd want kids. And I would suggest that that you then just simply change the subject. So tell me, did you and Jim spend the holidays with your family or his? It's just a straight up change of the subject onto something else. Like, fine. You want to say I told you so? I want to not talk to you about it. Okay, And that's done in that subtle way of just change that subject. The second, I think, is honest. And it's just it's straight up honesty. So back to the conversation. I just knew you'd come around. Remember, I told you you'd want kids. And then you can say, truthfully, it was a surprise pregnancy and we decided to roll with it. If it hadn't happened, we'd still be a no kids couple. And there's nothing wrong with that. Put me in the honesty camp. You like that one? <laughs> I love I, it. I, I like it when you like the one that's a little bit more like, let me just let me just put it out there. I could see there could be a tone that could make honesty a little bit of a eh. Yeah. <laughs> but I think you could also just be very upfront with like, you. Like, super frank. Since you're talking about my personal life. I'll tell I'll you. I'll be very frank about my personal life. And then number three. Well, let's just say this last one is basically you get what you give. So when they say, I just knew you'd come around. Remember, I told you you'd want kids. Wow. You're really pulling an I told you so here. That's classy. Thanks, Sydney. Or how about I'm so glad you being right is more important than me being pregnant. Do you want some punch? Awesome. Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Like, just give it to them. Like, you know, they dropped something in your face that was so rude. I kind of I don't want to tell you to be rude back, but I also don't mind telling you to just like put it out there. Like, really, are you really going to give me and I told you so about a pregnancy? Like, come on. 
That's bad. And while two wrongs don't make a right, <laughs> it could certainly be tempting <laughs> to respond thus. And that's why I'm giving it to you. I'm saying I'm giving her license. I'm One, saying two, go for three. it. One, two, three. You choose your best option, but I'm not going to hold you back from number three. And best wishes. Congratulations yeah. on the coming baby. Um, yeah, I think it's awesome you've decided to roll with it. And I also think that your previous plans were awesome, too. Our next question has to do with host pets. That means the pets at your host's home. Dear Lizzie and Dan, thanks for keeping me entertained and informed during my long commutes. How should one behave towards a host's pets when visiting, particularly overnight? I am very much not a pet person, and I often feel like I should pet the dog or cuddle with the cat that my hosts clearly cherish. But I honestly recoil. Many of my friends know this and make an effort to keep their pets at bay, but I feel like I'm imposing and that my reluctance to pet the dog is interpreted as an insistence that my hosts keep their pets away from me. Is there a polite way to decline interacting with pets, or do I just need to suck it up and learn to scratch the dog's belly? Thanks. Kate Bruce, Durham, North Carolina. Kate, thank you for the question. This is a, a fun one for me. I am, again, a new dog owner. So I'm in the process of learning to be a owner with dog host. And <laughs> there's no question that little Raju is very close. He's very much a part of Pooj and Mai's family. We just had a house guest this last weekend. I'm going to post a video sometime soon of Dan playing ridiculously with Raju so you can see the state he gets changed into around his puppy. It's ridiculous. And it's so I, I appreciate and recognize how ridiculous it is. <laughs> Recognizing that dog owners, cat owners, pet owners get so close to their animals. This is a really good reminder that not everybody is that close to to their animals, to our animals, to animals in general. Um, and there's a point of etiquette here also that animals and people are different. And it's it sounds so obvious so often our job at Emily Post is pointing out the obvious and the common sense. And it can be seductive for pet owners to start thinking of their animals as co-equal to the people in or, situations or environments or... Or to think that your animal is the one that will win over someone that doesn't love pets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's not always going to happen. Nope. And really, again, Kate, thank you for the really strong reminder for all of us out there that are responsible for managing our pets, that not everybody is as enamored with them as we are. Advice for us some other time. Advice for you right now. How do you handle this? I say communicate. Communicate early and clearly. You can just say to your your host, you know, I'm a little squeamish around dogs. I'm not a big fan of dogs. A- anything like that is just enough of a cue. You don't need to make a big deal of it. You don't need to make it a point of contention around a visit, but just letting them know that you're not particularly enthused and that's going to be okay. That's entirely allowed. That's a reasonable way to feel. No one, no one's going to correct you in that. Then you can ask for help from the owner if the dog is consistently jumping up in your. What do I do? He's always trying to jump up in my lap. Is there? Yeah. Something I can stay. Yes, he knows the command stay. That'll keep him down. Or if it's a problem that you're not going to be able to address, then you can ask them to help you. But most hosts are going to be pretty attuned to their guests' comfort and well-being. That's the job of a good host. So if you communicate, if you give your host a little bit of information to clue them in, it's going to go a long way towards helping them be a good host and manage their animal. And I feel like Kate's probably the kind – it sounds like she's the kind of person that would do this. But there's a big difference between saying like the next morning when you wake up at their house. Wow, the cat really claws at the door. 
you know, in the middle of the night mm-hmm. as opposed to, hey, I was just wondering if um, does Fluffy ever sleep with you guys at night? Because I notice he's real or does he usually sleep in the guest room? I notice he's trying to get in at mm-hmm. night. It'll clue them into the fact that he is. It's just a more subtle way to clue them into the fact that he's scratching at your door at night and keeping you awake. They're animals. They're not people. They won't respond to the same social cues that we'll respond to. They'll be you're pers- in their environment. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be persistent when they shouldn't be. Exactly. You're, you're you're often in their home, part of their routine. I love the example of being in the guest room. That's usually the cats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not so surprising. The cat wants to be in there. So anytime you can phrase a request about keeping the animal away from you in terms of is is there something else we could do or am I am I in his space in some way? It helps pet owners. Pet owners are very protective. Even my roommate and I each have dogs and and we're both very sensitive and protective about our pups. You know, mm-hmm. when the when the other one is bothering one of us, how we talk to each other about that makes a big difference. Great point. So without calling the animal gross or disgusting, yeah. <laughs> set your boundaries, be clear, take responsibility for how you feel in the start so that your host is really set up to help you. You. But no, you don't have to scratch any bellies that you don't want to scratch. And I hope you continue to feel comfortable wherever you go, animals or not. Our next question we've titled, let's focus on you, because it has to do with when people keep asking you about your job search. Sometimes it's better to just change the subject. Dear Lizzie and Dan, as a longtime listener of your insightful podcast, I humbly seek your advice. I have, over the past few years, applied to a number of academic appointments in English departments across the country and have, like an unfortunate number of people in the humanities, not been able to secure a position. This means I have become, at least in the eyes of my in-laws, the living cliché of the graduate student who simply will not graduate. I know there are worse existences. My advisors in my department have done their very best to assure me that eventually with time, patience, and some luck that I will secure a job, and I have some hope that this will indeed happen. In the meantime, I now have to look forward to yet another holiday season and the requisite barrage of job and career-related questions from family and friends. What often begins as a series of friendly questions soon turns into a not-so-friendly inquisition, which invariably ends with some flavor of the questions. Have you ever considered other options, and what would those be for you exactly? I prevail on your joint expertise, Lizzie and Dan, in dealing with lines of questioning that are at once sympathetic and invasive, doing my best to maintain my temper for now, Brian. I sympathize. I do too, Brian. The possibilities are endless and exciting, and I'm excited for you. I'm not so excited that you anticipate running into persistent and maybe unenthusiastic questioning this holiday season and the two sample questions that you gave. Have you ever considered other options? Ouch. And what would those be for you exactly? Both sound particularly insulting because, of course, you've considered other options. You're, you're choosing your career path. I'm sure you have a range of possibilities and, and alternatives and options in front of you, and you're pursuing the thing that matters to you, that you've made a choice about and that you care about. And it's really undermining to hear that again and again and again. Seriously, it is, I sympathize only as opposed to the job front. It comes on the dating front with me. Oh, have you ever considered online dating? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. What's that? I never thought about that really? before. Online like, dating scratches head. Huh. Yeah, exactly. It's like, of course you have. You're living it. And I think it's really hard when people start questioning that. So I sympathize. And, uh, yeah. and at the same time, I, I can see that you understand um, you make the allowance that these questions come from 
genuinely curious friends and family who want to know what's up with you. And and oftentimes those questions can really get at the nugget of things. They can really get to the the center of life quickly. I think it's one of the reasons these holidays can be so stressful for people. You can always say, you know, that job search is really difficult. I'm trying not to talk about it so much during this holiday season. I love it. 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 So simple. Just set up that boundary. It's not fraught. And you can share as much or as little as you want and then bring your your attention, their attention back to the moment, back to the shared family time, back to something that's going to help you build and grow that relationship in a way that feels good to you. Um, It doesn't need to be fraught. This is just taking that conversation into the territory that that's really going to be the best. You have a phrase that you always, always remind me of anytime we talk about people talking about jobs. I think you're talking about that in this is sort of a difference between American and European yes, etiquette. Yes, yes, this is the one. <clears throat> that in Europe, it's really considered kind of bad form to ask someone what they do, to make the center of your conversation the question of what their profession is, or, or to very early on in a relationship link your knowing of someone, your, your development of an identity for them, or your understanding of their identity, and linking it to their profession. You can see the danger of that type of immediate association in this particular question where a person feels that their value, their their sense of self is being questioned because they don't have a job yeah. <laughs> or that might be what's going on here. Or that or that might be all... one of the reasons it's potentially bothersome. Yeah, that it's all wrapped up in the idea of what's he going to do. And it's like, you know, he's so much more of a person beyond this job search that has been a struggle. So, Brian, we want to address the totality of your person <laughs> <laughs> and really um, make the allowance for you to bring that totality to your holiday gathering this year. And if you do face this particular particular kind of question, it's okay to tell people that you don't really want to talk about it. But there's more. What's that? More questions coming up, but first a word from our sponsors. Here, let's try another trick. This one's titled Gift Cutoff Points. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. My mother recently mentioned an etiquette dilemma she's wrestling with, and I hope you can offer some insights for her because I'm stumped. My mom has 12 grandchildren and for many years has sent each of them a card with a not insignificant cash gift for their birthdays. She's a gracious woman and happy to do this, even though it adds up to a lot of money over the year, and not all of the grandchildren thank her for it. Now that most of the grandchildren are in their 20s and my mom's income is more limited, she'd like to discontinue the cash gifts and send them just a card. Ideally, she wants to establish a cutoff age, 25 for example. The only thing stopping her is how to communicate this to the grandchildren. She's concerned that if she just starts sending the cards without the cash, it will come across as confusing or maybe a forgetful accident. And my mother is far from forgetful. But she's not comfortable broadcasting this change on the family Facebook group or a similar group setting. And I agree that would be awkward. To make things slightly more confusing, she's already sent the oldest grandchildren cash for their 25th or 26th birthdays since she hadn't figured out what to do by then. Is there a good approach to make this change clear but also graceful? Thanks so much and keep up the excellent advice. Regards, Elizabeth. Elizabeth, I've actually seen this happen. I've been the person who was cut off kind of at a certain age. And I think it's something you kind of learn as you grow up, that as you grow up, you don't get gifts from as many relatives as you used to. Or sometimes gifts become smaller Other times they increase. But, you know, it's just not uncommon to sort of see that as you hit your mid-20s that maybe a godmother or a 
friend of the family or aunts and uncles stop giving gifts altogether and they just send a card wishing you well. So it's not uncommon to see this happen and to see it happen without any kind of announcement. That being said, I think a a grandmother to grandchild relationship is often a close one and that it might be something that you just pass down. I think that one way to do it would be the parents to talk. So your mother would talk to your generation about it and just explain the situation and say, you know, if you could just pass on word of mouth to your kids that the financial situation is a little bit different. So grandma's not going to be sending that you know, chunky check this year. Um, And, you know, maybe it's that you do a smaller check. Maybe it's that you do no check and you send a gift instead. So those would all be options. I think if financially you can go to 27 for each of them, I think that might be a good thing to budget for just so that it doesn't seem off that, you know, the oldest got it till they were 26 and the youngest is getting cut off at 20 or something like that. That being said, if that's not financially possible, it's perfectly okay to make this division happen right now. And it's just the way the world works. We don't always get things at the exact same age that everybody else in the family got them. As youngest, I can speak to it. My advice to you would be to have your mother talk to your generation about it and have your generation then talk to the kids and let them know financially things have changed a little bit. Grandma's totally okay, but this is going to be something that will change. And she's really hoping that you guys will be equally as grateful for the cards and well wishes as you were for the cash. And for those that aren't sending thank you notes, Grandma, stop sending them gifts. (laughs) Dang, I'm just going to say it. We hope that that makes it a little bit easier going forward and have confidence in having this conversation. It's really a great way to communicate it. This next question may sound a little familiar. My father and I work together in our small family business. We deal in residential interior design, and a lot of our day-to-day tasks involve schmoozing, small talk, and relatively intimate conversation. Since most of our business activities take place inside the homes of our clients, it feels natural for professional conversation to give way to personal matters. I do my best to be friendly, polite, and informal during these chats so that our customers feel at ease. And I think the method works. Many of our clients have turned into dear friends. However, a few days ago, I was unpleasantly invited on a date by one of my clients. We had just finished delivery of some custom furniture when he mentioned that he'd like to take us to dinner. At least, I assumed it was to be an us situation, us being my father, the gentleman, and myself. This would make it, in my book, a work dinner. But later, while accepting and processing his payment, and when my dad wasn't around, he made it quite clear that my father would not be welcome as a chaperone, his word. All of a sudden, I was aware that he wanted a date. In his tone, he was aggressive and pushy, and I felt immediately uncomfortable. I brushed the invite off with a noncommittal but pleasant reply. A few hours later, he mentioned the invitation again through electronic communication, wondering when exactly we were going for dinner. Once more, I dodged it by making a breezy comment that my boyfriend would not be pleased if I went on a date with another man. Then, radio silence on his end. Problem solved, I suppose. But I feel that I didn't confront the issue bravely, and I'm feeling guilty about it, days and days later. My question is this. What is the polite way to turn down an aggressive, romantic invitation to a business contact without burning the bridge, while also maintaining one's own integrity? I felt very much stuck between a rock and a hard place, wanting not to insult my customer, but also feeling defensive of my own right to refuse. 
I was honest when I mentioned my boyfriend, figuring that it might be the gentlest way to steer clear of the situation. But only afterwards that I remember a previous episode of Awesome Etiquette when a listener, I think her name was Sabine, championed for the right of women to refuse a date simply because she does not want to go. Thank you so much for considering my question. All the best to you both. S. Hi, S. Thank you so much for your question. I am I'm actually I'm really excited to give you an answer on this one. I have like a clear cut line to deliver. My suggested language is I'm flattered, but in this case, I'd rather not mix business and social or I'd rather not mix business and romantic life. Or in this case, I'd really like to keep it just a business relationship. But thank you very much. It's okay to not want to go. Even if you were single and you weren't interested in this person, just you're referring back to Sabine and that was Sabine's point. Like, why do I have to make that the relationship is the only reason why? And I think that is a really good point. I do still maintain that sometimes it's a softer blow when someone just understands that you're not in a position to even be able to say yes. That's a reasonable way to reply also It's a, if it's you a, want to. Yeah, it's soft. But I really do. I admire Sabine and the answer that she came up with that was, can you just please be honest? And I think being honest that this is something that you don't want to do. You want to keep this person as a business contact. You don't want this to become a romantic thing. So just say, I'd rather um, I'd, I'd rather keep this as a business relationship and not a romantic one. But thank you very much for asking. I really like that, too, because it hews very closely to our honesty standard. Yeah. I'd rather keep this a business relationship than a personal one. It's not always just I don't want to mix business and personal because a different situation you, you might, might want to exactly <laughs> and, and leave that door I mean, open that, that is... not that we want you and your current amour to break up but we're just saying <laughs> but no i mean it, when you really talk about honoring sabine's thought yeah this is about owning your own reaction and response and really letting someone know that no i'm, I'm, I'm responding to your yeah risky ask with a no yeah <laughs> and and i appreciate you're taking a chance and putting yourself out there but yep. i'd really rather keep this relationship business I think that one thing I do want to talk to you about is something that my um, sister was always really great about. My sister was very professional when she worked with us at the Emily Post Institute, and she really drew a clear line between business and personal. And I don't think you have to do that. You're in somebody's home. I think it's very often the case that personal issues will come up when you talk with them about that. But recognize that when you get very personal with business contacts, that might lead to some unwanted personal attention from your business contact. You don't want to say, I don't want this to be a personal relationship with you because Technically, you've already invited that when you start talking with them about personal things. Now, you haven't automatically put a sign over your head saying, ask me on a date, but you are opening the door for people to want to talk to you about personal things when you don't set that boundary or kind of say, oh, you know, I'm sorry to hear that. And then let's get to these colors for the living room. The more that you can put your attention and your conversation on the actual business and the decorating of these people's homes, I think the less unwanted attention you might receive from them. I think it's good to build personal relationships. I think that if you have personal news to share with them in the future, that that's a great thing. And I think Dan and I each have wonderful personal connections with some of our business contacts. But it was something I was always very, very personal with everybody in my business and my personal life. And I have learned through my sister over the years to 
really kind of pick and choose who I'm going to welcome into some of my more personal aspects of my life and who I might listen to theirs, but I won't share any of mine. Or I might even cut them off a little bit and try to refocus our conversations to the business at hand when I need to. But definitely, I hope that this line, I'm flattered, but in this case, I would rather keep our relationship professional. I am hoping that that serves you well in the future. And best of luck with your business. And I love the fact that you're a part of a family business, too. You hear that? She says you're not as rude as you used to be. What do you know? Thanks to everyone for sending in your questions, and remember, we love updates. If we answered your question on the show or if you have a comment about one of our questions, feel free to send it in. You can also submit your question to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or send it in via Facebook or Twitter. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so we know you want it on the show. In today's postscript, we want to honor the New Year's Eve party tradition. This is a, a particularly special holiday. We noted in the introduction and that it doesn't revolve around a, a particular religious observance or the exchange of gifts or candy or, or food. a particular meal. A moment in history. <laughs> if you really, yeah, think about the, I love the historical moments also. Well, yeah, that's what Thanksgiving is. So many holidays. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you really think about what is iconic New Year's imagery, it's the party hats and the noisemakers and the confetti. The, the ball drop. It's, it's the moment at the party, the, yeah. maybe even the New Year's kiss. So New Year's Eve is really about the moment. And it's about the moment that new things begin. It's the start of something new. And oftentimes we honor that with a party. So we thought we would bring a little bit of Emily Post's advice for hosting. This is some classic party giving etiquette from page 389 of the 1955 edition of Emily Post's Etiquette. And it is a special edition. It's like leather bound and got gold trim on it, gold plating. I don't know what you call it. It's a handsome weaving. book. It's a very beautiful book. So just in case it's a little, little different from the, the everyday version, it's called Simple Party Giving. And it is chapter 32. To all who live in simple, unpretentious houses, successful party giving amounts to little more than the friendly enthusiasm of the host or hostess. Practically all of us fall naturally into one of two categories. In the first belong to those whom the thought of giving any sort of party is as full of delight and as empty of qualm as the prospect of a visit to the circus is to a child. In the second are all those who are literally panicked at the thought of inviting anybody in. They are sure people won't want to come. They are sure they will be bored if they do. They are sure, in fact, that company is a synonym for failure, with the result that these fears all too often come true. On the other hand, those who love to give parties usually give them with ease, which means an unworried attitude of mind. Even if a dozen things go wrong, they know that few of their friends will notice and fewer still will care. And after all, why should things go wrong? The point is that sometimes the hostess seems to imagine she is asking enemies to her house, a condition brought about perhaps by those two formidable words, hostess and guest. Perhaps if she would forget that she was to be hostess and that guests were coming and would think instead, John and I are going to be at home and Mary, Jane, Jim, and Bob are coming in. The entire situation would clear. If the hostess and host are relaxed and seem to be enjoying their party, 
there is no doubt that the guests will have a good time, too. And I just love that because it's such encouragement to just, this isn't a big deal. Your friends are coming over. Of course they're going to have a nice time. Your mood sets the tone. So please go forth, throw an awesome holiday party, and do it with that former attitude of, this is going to be great, and have a happy new year. You mean that's all there is, just what we've talked about? Oh, no. You can learn still more by watching Mother, Dad, and other people who have good manners. Today's etiquette salute begins... Wait, it's the last salute of the year. Sorry. I just felt like that was special. (laughs) Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I love the podcast and look forward to it each week. To be honest, I never thought I'd be someone who couldn't wait to submit an etiquette salute about a lovely weekend I just experienced. Yay! My etiquette salute is directed at my father's only cousin and her charming husband. Referring to them as my father's cousins doesn't do them justice. They are truly my aunt and uncle. For an Irish-American family, my father's side is rather small, and we span the country from the Northeast to the Pacific Northwest and in between. A few years ago, this amazing couple moved back to the East Coast to a town my aunt was less than fond of. She always had a career of her own, but was struggling to find a place outside of her husband's life of academia. As they were now in a central location, they began hosting twice-a-year family get-togethers. They provide several delicious home-cooked meals, live entertainment in the form of a jazz duo, an open bar, games and toys for the youngest family members, and a beautiful home for family to catch up on each other's lives. They ask for nothing in return except the chance to catch up and spend time with all of us. Prior to these weekends, extended family members only saw each other at funerals and weddings, where at least one side of the family would be otherwise occupied. This has become such a lovely tradition that everyone looks forward to. We've all become much closer because of these weekends and always leave knowing the next time we will see each other. While traveling these days isn't always the easiest or cheapest thing to do, I and many others in my family always find time to make this trip. Words really can't describe how important these weekends are to us. My aunt always makes a toast to honor her mother and my father's, the two sisters that connect our families. But it's really because of her that we all happily gather together with no drama, only laughter and love. Thank you, Mo. That sounds like a wonderful family gathering. And a really excellent and important etiquette salute. Thank you so much for sharing, Mo. We're as excited to get it and to read it as you were to send it. Well, now, wasn't that better? Look at the effect of a little politeness. That's our show for today. Thank you for spending some of your week with us. And thank you for being with us for another wonderful year. We cannot wait to have more awesome etiquette in 2016. And remember, there's no show without you. So please send us your etiquette questions, your comments and suggestions. And of course, your etiquette salutes. If you like what you hear, don't be shy. Tweet it, Facebook post it, and of course, you can subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. On Twitter, I'm at Lizzie A. Post. And I'm at Daniel underscore Post. Or you can visit our website, emilypost.com. Our theme music was composed and performed by Bob Wagner, and our show is produced by Hans Butow.